A couple of years ago, Michael and Jacob, two friends from London, were both thinking about their consumption and sustainability as a whole. Michael, a professional footballer at the time, realised he had no options when it came to sustainable sportswear. Overconsumption and underuse was all too common. Hilo was born, a sportswear brand fighting for the planet by changing mindsets. They started with a running shoe made with seven natural materials, and the shoe can be recycled at the end of its life. As a company, they've offset their carbon to beyond zero, making them carbon negative. You can find out more about Hilo and support their mission at hiloathletics.com. That's H-Y-L-O. We support the Hilo movement. My name's David Savage and I have an as yet undiagnosed liver condition. I also happen to really like running very long distances. As a consequence, I wanted to find other people who had health conditions but also loved sport. And the Chronically Fit Show is what happened. Has fallen away And in those times A shadowy hills to climb Hold out your hand to mine on today's show, I'm talking to Regan. Regan has MS and recently discovered the joy of running. And I don't just mean running 5K or 10K. No, multiple marathons back to back as part of a relay race called MS Run the US. This is Regan's story from her diagnosis, having previously worked for the MS Society and her grandma having had the disease through to her own diagnosis and how she's dealt with it afterwards. So today I'm talking to Regan. Regan, thanks for giving up some time to uh, to spend on the podcast with me. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. And actually, it's Reagan. I know Regan. Is- so I, I figured I'd cut it at this point if you want me to. <laughs> Reagan, not Regan. I'll start that again. Okay. <clears throat> so today we're talking... <laughs> Today I'm chatting to Reagan. Uh, Reagan, thanks for giving up some time uh, and spending some some moments with me on the podcast. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. You know, we're recovered here down in Texas and enjoying now some beautiful weather. So can't complain too much. Has it has it stopped being the day after tomorrow? It has stopped being the day after tomorrow. It was like a little apocalyptic for a while here, but I think everybody's come back out into the sunlight and it's beautiful outside and it's almost feels like it never happened. <laughs> it's funny. I mean, I, the British view of Texas is that it's kind of always hot and warm which is stupid because it's continental right so i assume you have yeah. fairly cold winters normally but um not normally to the extreme that you've seen recently oh my gosh it was yeah wild it is it is normally hot and warm and like we get a brief winter and then it's it it's like you blink and it's over and we're back to to hot and humid weather again so <laughs> are you from texas originally I am. Yes. I grew up in Texas. Um, I lived uh, up in Colorado in the mountains for a little while. And that's when I learned I do not like snow. So I came back to Texas. <laughs> I was going to say, so so look, we've got you on the show because you have MS. Uh, you're also a runner. I was going to say, look, before we get into kind of anything around the chronic health uh, piece, do you enjoy running in the cold by the sounds of it from what you've just said? Absolutely not. Yeah, you know, there's like a balance. There's like a little window of temperatures that I enjoy and anything below that, I I just don't really love it. So anything in here, I know you guys measure temperature differently since we're in Fahrenheit, but for me, it's like 50 to 75 is nice. But anything below that, when you get anywhere close to freezing, I am out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So 
I, I think I've got so kind of seventy five is like mid twenties. I think that's, occasionally yeah, I think that's about right. Yeah, we we in the in the extremes we can kind of get into the nineties and the hundreds here, kind of around the, the mid thirties and up. And oh. in, in those times, it's just like the the only time I can possibly run is about six o'clock in the morning, really early in the morning. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I what I experienced too. I've 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 been running for a little over a year now, um, regularly running, and so I made it through my first Texas summer, and surprisingly, I survived. I avoided afternoons; like there were never afternoon runs when it comes to be like july and august it's always i better get this done before 10 a.m if i don't you know want to just pass out on the pavement <laughs> I, don't really, I don't really understand running in the afternoon generally anyway but never mind that's that's something separate yeah. um so look we mentioned there that you you have ms um mm-hmm. we before we hit record um you were saying that you have uh, a remitting and relapsing course of ms mm-hmm. which affects about 85 percent of people uh, who have ms right um yeah. When did you get that diagnosis? So it actually was exactly six years ago. Uh, yesterday, March second. That was that was the anniversary of my diagnosis. The day that I found out that I had MS. Um, I'll never forget that day. I actually was in Denver. That was the time that I was living in Colorado. Um, and you know, I just thought like this is it. Like my life is over. I was engaged to my husband at the time. I'm like thinking like I'm you know never going to be able to do any of the things I've always wanted to do in terms of traveling and you know just different different plans that I'd had for myself. So I, I it definitely uh, changed a lot that day when I found out that I that I had MS. Look I, at that moment, mm-hmm. how informed were your family or your friends or even your 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 doctors, the medical professionals in being able to answer the questions that you had? You know, I was super fortunate um, that I had a lot of people who actually knew a lot about it. And I think part of my um, preconceived notion of what my life would be like was largely based on my grandmother. My my dad's mom had MS um, and she was diagnosed later in life and had the more progressive form of MS that only 15% of people deal with. But I watched her as a child go from walking normally to using a cane, to using a walker, to eventually just having to use a scooter to get around. Um, and so I saw that as a child, her health just declined literally, and you know, before my eyes year after year. And I just always assumed that was that's going to be what my journey's like, just mm-hmm. based on her experience. But every person's MS journey is so so different, and that's what I've learned from connecting with other people that have MS. Um, and in terms of my doctor, I was really lucky. My doctor's wife had MS, so he also had this deeply personal connection to uh, that particular disease, especially as a neurologist. Um, So I think that it also just helped him see me as a young woman, you know, very similar to his wife, um, getting ready to get married and all of that. And so he has a lot of both medical and personal knowledge in terms of MS and kind of what that looks like. And he was one to, you know, tell me right away, like, this doesn't mean that your life is going to be over, that you can't do, you know, exercise and pursue the things that you've always thought that you would, you know, do in life. So, so that definitely helped me get through those um, early weeks of kind of processing everything. How long you, you say that those early weeks of processing everything? How long did that did that time last? You know, 
I would say it definitely took me kind of a few months to understand like, okay, this isn't going to dramatically affect my day-to-day life as much as I thought. Um, They were really quick to get me on medicine. Um, So I go in once a month. In fact, I'm going in tomorrow for uh, for an infusion. It's like every four weeks I go in and they give me uh, medication through an infusion. And I have had hardly any setbacks since then. I haven't had any new symptoms develop. I haven't seen any disease progression in my annual brain and spine scans that they do because MS essentially is lesions that show up on the brain and spine over time. And if it goes untreated, those lesions get bigger and more of them show up. And depending on which areas of the brain and on the spine that they show up, it affects different um, mobility. Um, It can affect, you know, a lot of your internal stuff going on as well. So a lot can happen from that. But I've been really lucky that my medicine has completely halted any disease progression. So I think Mm -hmm. after getting my first few infusions, after seeing the symptoms that had initially popped up, which was, you know, kind of some numbness and tingling on the whole right side of my body, um, some double vision during exercise, just these random bouts of, you know, of just honestly, there was really nothing to explain it, but these symptoms just popping up left and right in different times, different places under different circumstances. Um, those went away once I started medicine. So within probably like two or three months and when, once I saw, okay, like my body has somewhat settled back down to a new normal. I still have a little bit of tingling in one of my hands and experience weird kind of sensations in my spine every so often. But aside from that, I mean, I feel normal. And um, I think once I realized that I would feel normal and that this wasn't going to be something that, you know, just completely upended my life the way that I expected it would, I was able to kind of settle in and really accept it. Before, again, before I hit record, we were joking about the fact that actually my knowledge of MS comes largely from the West Wing, uh, which (laughs) at the time was was praised for its depiction of MS and and really kind of getting it out there into into the public consciousness. But there is that realization that's over 20 years ago now. So it's oh, like so much has changed since then. Exactly. In the last 20 years it's wild. What 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 advances have there been made in terms of the way that that I suppose not only affect your quality of of life and and long-term prognosis for quality of life, but mm. also how people how people react and and kind of react to you as someone who has MS. Yeah, well, I find almost anytime I tell somebody that I have MS, they are like initially just so shocked and surprised because, you know, I seem so normal. And again, I think that a lot of people do have that perception of some of the things you've seen on TV um, that, you know, most people living with MS have, you know, mobility issues. And there are, there are a lot, there are people that have a much more serious form of MS than I do. But as I mentioned, 85% of people, um, you know, are able to function fairly normally. There might be a day or a few days that they have a hard time walking, they might have different mobility issues and impairments and things going on. Um, But MS is also largely known to be an invisible disease for a lot of people. Most of the symptoms that we experience aren't really known or even seen. Um, So that's kind of what makes it a little tricky. But gosh, over the last 20 years, uh, there are just so many different um, medications and options for treating MS. Um, Diet is another thing that a lot of people have studied 
eat in terms of cutting out certain foods. Um, so, I mean, I know people who have holistically almost healed themselves from multiple sclerosis essentially because they've just made kind of dramatic life changes in terms of what they eat and are just really mindful of things like that. And then other people who like me who are on medicine that, you know, has dramatically altered, um, the disease progression that I've experienced and I'm able to function at a fairly, you know, normal level most days. So you got into running regularly a year ago. Mm-hmm. Well, when, when you say you got into r- running regularly, what, what, what are we talking about? I mean, what were you doing before and what are you doing now? So I had actually in, um, 2019 in October, i had had a baby. So my youngest son was born and I was like ready to just kind of get back into shape and had that moment of like, all right, this is it. Like I'm going to do it. So I did, I joined a gym in January, like everybody else does early January. And I, I was really committed to it. And I, I got into really good shape. I started feeling really good again. And then like, as soon as I was like, man, like, this is it. Like I've made it a routine. Like I've woven it into my day then COVID happened. And so no more access to the gym. I'm at home. And now not only am I at home, but I'm working full time at home. And I have my, you know, five month old and my three year old at home with me while I'm trying to work. So I'm like, how in the world am I going to make time to exercise? So the (laughs) that I could figure out was going to be the easiest was I'm going to drop him in the jogging stroller and I'm just going to do intervals of walking and running and walking and running and, you know, just get in a good half hour. It'll keep them happy. They love being outside, love being pushed in the stroller. And so that's kind of what I did. And so I started out just walking and running in intervals and then slowly my running intervals were getting longer and my walking were getting shorter. And after, you know, a couple months I'd built up to running a mile and then running two miles and slowly from there, you know, I started being like, hmm, I, I wasn't willing to say I loved running at that point yet. It took me <laughs> a while to decide that I actually loved it because for a long time, I swore I would never be a runner. Like I was just adamant about it, but I kind of liked the peace of mind it gave me. It was an opportunity to get fresh air, you know, when we were all spending a lot of time in our homes. And so I just kind of embraced it. Um, and after I had embraced it, I decided, gosh, you know what? I'm going to try to find something, even if it's like a virtual 5K that kind of connects yeah. to MS so that I can, you know, make a connection to a cause that matters and do something, uh, something to support it. So before I, we get in, before we get into that, because I think yeah. I think that, that's brilliant to talk about. Why, why did you say you were adamant that you didn't want to be a runner? <laughs> Because anytime I had like decided like, I think I'm going to try to run, it was just a horrible experience. It ended with like, you know, like here I am out at the beach in California thinking like, gosh, is there a better place to run than down the beach? Like, look at all these people doing this. I'm going to do this. And it like one time it ended with me feeling like I was going to pass out on the boardwalk. Like, gosh, I hope somebody finds me. I don't have any ID on me. Will my parents even know where I am because I was so tired after trying to run like half a mile. <laughs> so I, I think, think that I was like, I mean, <laughs> like, you know, I, the amount of people that that I talk to, because, because most, because I run, I run trail, trail marathons and half marathons and whatever yeah. else. I, really didn't like running for a very long time i I don't think it's this thing that you i i'm not saying that you've got i'm not saying that it's like something that you have to force yourself to like some people do just love Mm -hmm. running but it is a process that you kind of got to work at to to really embrace it sometimes 
I used to joke with people that like, if you put a hamburger on a string and dangle it in front of me, I might run, but that's about, that's, I need something to motivate me. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, for me, it was a friend who signed me up to a crazy, crazy marathon up a mountain in Switzerland where I basically went, oh, I have no choice but to start to do this and take this seriously, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, and then eventually you kind of go, oh, hang on a minute, I'm doing this quite regularly and I, I quite enjoy it. Um Anyway, look, you mentioned the the virtual run. So that's MS Run the US, right? Yes. Yes. So I am a part of MS Run the US. And so I, I hopped into Google once I felt like inspired to do something uh, meaningful based on my, you know, newfound hobby of running. Um, and one of the first things that came up was MS Run the US. And so I like pull it up. I'm like, okay, it's 19 people they split up the country and each one runs their own segment. You know, it's varying number of miles and days. Right. Hang on, hang on. So mm -hmm. you split up the country when you say you split up the country in terms of the distance from coast to coast? Yes. Or? Yeah, from coast to coast. So it starts West Coast, California, ends all the way in New York City on the northeastern coast. Right. Mm -hmm. 19 people. That's still quite a lot per person. It is a lot, a lot. Um, yeah, I, I don't know the minimum mileage, but everybody's running, I think, somewhere between like 130 and all the way up to like 180 something miles. Um, I'm running 178 miles um, starting in Denver, Colorado, which, you know, I, I actually had the opportunity to, you know, they asked me, is there one segment that you'd really like to do? And I said, well, I think it'd be really meaningful to do in Denver because that's where I was diagnosed with MS. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the exact spot that I'm starting the relay is less than a mile away from the building that I was told I have multiple sclerosis. Wow. Which is just wild. Like, what are the odds of out of all the, you know, start starting endpoints they could have chosen across the entire country? It just so happened that way. So it's just kind of a crazy coincidence. Um, but yes, that. I'll be running the eighth segment. So seven people have already run. The one thing that I said is like, I'm not running through mountains. I was like that. I'm not going to do the high altitude running up and down mountains. So you can count me out for that. Pick something flat for me. <laughs> So the the mileage that you cover, how how what kind of period of time? Because because when you say virtual run to me, obviously online yeah. there's been a lot of virtual runs where it's just doing the mileage. Yeah, but it doesn't it doesn't have to be in that location. It can be over a month's period of time. Oh but yeah, this sounds like it is in location and it is. It is. Yes. Yeah. So they have like a van that goes along, a, a, a camper that goes along with everybody for their segment. So I have one week. I'm essentially going to be running a marathon a day for a week. And I have not run a marathon in my life. I did my first half marathon in January. Um, so my first thought, I looked this up and I'm like, these people are crazy. Who would ever sign up to do this? Like, this is... This is just a lot, but I just could not shake it for like over a week. It just like, I thought about it probably like 10 or 12 times a day. I just couldn't shake the thought of it. So I finally was like, I don't know. I kind of feel like I'm supposed to do this. So this is very dangerous because once you've done this, you will look, you will look for the next challenge. I, I know that's like what I'm afraid of is I'm like, man, I think that I, yeah, I could be, I could be an adrenaline junkie now, which I just, I didn't see it coming, but you know, it's, it's been awesome so far. I've got an awesome group of 18 other people yeah. that, you know, we're always cheering each other on and encouraging each other and posting what we're doing each day for training. And, uh, you know, we've got like a joint playlist that we all listen to. And those days we run extra fast. Cause you're kind of like thinking of the other people that are training with you. Um, so it's been a really cool and unique experience. Um, but yeah, everybody's little route is divvied up between usually like four to seven days. It's about how long everybody gets based on mileage to complete different. I'm sorry, when are you doing this again? 
I'm so my segment is going to be um in June. So June. early June, the first week of June, I'll be running. Um, You've got some time to prep yet. I do. Um, yes. So I'm in the throes months. of training right now. Yeah. And how are you finding that? I mean, look, to be, to be perfectly honest, let's bring it back to, to, to MS again. Like exercise is, is good for you. Yes. It is. And yeah. there's also that point that knowing your own disease, knowing your own body, you're pushing yourself further than you've ever pushed yourself, right? Oh, for sure. And it has to be an awareness of, right, I'm doing this. And obviously mm -hmm. it's great that it's MS run the run the US. So I'm assuming there's support and there's advice and whatever else oh, you're yeah. in this community of people. But mm -hmm. uh, how are you kind of balancing that awareness of, right, what, you know, I, I can't, I can't push myself to the point that actually I cause issues. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And that was one of the first things, like when I, I'm pretty sure when I brought it up to my husband, he was like, are you sure? Like, this is a lot. And the first thing he said was, well, you just need to make sure to clear it with your neurologist first. So that was like one of my first phone calls when I decided like, I'm going to try to do this. You know, I called and I talked to my doctor and I said, um, before I, you know, apply to do this, before I accept, before I accept my position on this team, I just want to make sure, like, is there any reason based on my medical history, my MS diagnosis that I can't do this? And she was like, no, I, you know, I, I really think that, that you're going to be fine doing this. Um, mm. There's really no medical reason you can't. Obviously, you just have to listen to your body. And if you feel like things are changing or something isn't feeling right, you know, just call us and let us know. But there are people living with MS doing amazing things. One mm. of my friends is telling me about somebody who climbed Everest recently with MS. And I, so, I mean, you know, yes, there are definitely some um, physical impediments when it comes to you know, doing things like this. But I always say that I'm one of the fortunate people with MS that it, it doesn't affect me like it does other people. So since I have the ability to do it, that's almost something that I think has pushed me to want to do it more because mm. I've said before in some of my posts that I'm sharing during my fundraising process and everything that like my hardest day out there running on the days that you just kind of like strap on your, on your shoes and you're like, I don't know if I really want to do this today. And it's hard and you're tired and you're just like not yeah. really feeling it the whole time. I mean, that's somebody's best day who doesn't have the mm -hmm. ability to get up and walk and go for a run. So I just try to put that kind of perspective on it that, you know, my worst day out there running could easily be someone else's best day that doesn't have the opportunity to get out there and move their legs the way that I do. Yeah, it's, 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 it's such a positive thing to hear around the fact that there is no re you know, there is no reason why you why you can't do this you 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 have ms yes but and you need to be aware and you need to listen to your body but it's the same with any chronic health issue that it's not a barrier it's something mm -hmm. to be aware of it's something to educate yourself around it's something to maybe you need to listen to yourself in a slightly different way to someone who might not have one of these these chronic issues mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean you can't do it oh completely i think that that's kind of what i've accepted too is that I've tried to not let my MS limit me because in the beginning it felt like it was going to limit me so much. Um, and I think mm. I've learned that, yeah, I just need to listen to my body. I need to, you know, fuel it the right way. I need to continue to go get my infusions and like I can do 
hard things. I can do challenging things. I can do things that even normal people think are difficult. And, you know, something like this is just kind of one of those milestones of something that is like, you know what, I want to be able to prove that people who have, you know, invisible disabilities and chronic illness um, can do hard things and crazy things and still find success. You mentioned uh, earlier, um, again, when we were having a chat and planning uh, this this chat, you mentioned there are 2.3 million people worldwide. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. You have that's MS? Right. Obviously, you had a very, you had that that moment when you, when you were diagnosed six years ago uh, mm-hmm. and you kind of joined that community of people. If, if someone is joining that number uh, and they're, they're looking for information, they stumble, uh, stumble mm-hmm. across something like this. What, what would you say to them as someone who is newly diagnosed, having now been living with this for six years? You know, I would tell them, <clears throat> excuse me. I would tell them to, um, to honestly just embrace it more than try to to push it away. Cause I think that that's been my biggest thing is rather than ignoring it and pretending like it's not there, I've like used it as fuel to do more and to make myself feel stronger in a lot of ways I didn't think I would be able to. Um, so rather than sulking and trying to anticipate what your future is gonna look like based on your diagnosis, do the things that you never thought that you would be able to do. Continue to try to push limits, figure out what your body can handle. And everybody's experience is going to be a little bit different and their journey is going to be different and their symptoms Mm -hmm. will look different. And some days are going to be harder than others. But I think, I don't want to say don't let it define you, but I think don't let it define you in a negative way. Don't let it be a setback. I think you should let it be a launching pad to, to do all the things that you're able to do when you're able to do them. Because, you know, tomorrow's not promised. And if, you're able to pursue big dreams, then I think go out and do it. Well, in a positive way, it almost has defined you in as much as it's made you go, no, I can do these things and I want to prove to myself that I can do these things. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, it's just been a reminder to be grateful too, that I do have this mobility because I've met so many people. So one of the crazy things about my journey is before I was diagnosed, I worked at the National MS Society, which is based here in the US. And it's, you know, our nationwide organization that supports um, people with MS. So I knew a lot about the disease going in there. I had ties to it because of my grandmother, but I never thought it would be a part of my future. Mm. Um, So I knew so many volunteers and people who were coming coming in and out of that building every week that had MS. Um, And so I thought of them and I thought of their life experiences and so many of them were out there doing amazing things. And so that also inspired me to not let it be a limiting factor, but more of a launching pad. Well, look, good luck with the training. Um, I imagine that you've probably got your first marathon distance coming up fairly soon. Yes, I'm work. I'm working up. I'm. I've been working up to it, but I. I've been putting in a lot of miles every day, and you know, adding in some strength and trying to make sure that I'm doing it right. Since I don't have, you know, a lot of history with high mileage, but you know, I'm enjoying the process. Um, I have fallen in love with running after I did my first official half marathon. I realized, like, I think I'm hooked on this now. So yeah, we'll just have to see where it takes me after this. But but You'll June have- is going to be a big accomplishment. So I'm. Yeah, I'm- looking forward to it and getting ready to check that off the list and and who knows what'll come after that you'll have to send us the uh fundraising link and i'll I'll put it in the show notes uh so that people can if they're listening click and and have a look and see if they can donate but look thank you so much for your time uh and it's morning there late morning there so enjoy the rest of your day well thanks david i appreciate it you too 
Uh, I have to admit that it's not just the West Wing that makes me think I know lots about medicine. 15 years worth of ER made made me and my wife think that we could probably be doctors. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Um, but it is always quite useful to have yourself set straight by someone who's actually got MS rather than just going, oh, that's what Josiah Bartlett had, right? Do you know, I um, haven't actually watched ER. You've ever. not watched ER? You, ever. You trained to be a doctor. How have you not watched ER? Yeah. Should I go back? Should I? <laughs> Grey's Anatomy? House? No. no. Casualty? Casualty occasionally. I don't think that's good preparation. But do you know what casualty does and what it did was it made me think that at the end of every every day you'd go to the pub, which obviously never happens. <laughs> and so like, I thought after a hard shift, we'd all go to the pub, but no, everyone just goes home. So I was like, oh, that's one lie that we need to get out of casualty. <laughs> in fairness, at the end of ER, they always seem to end up in a diner or a bar altogether. Yeah. So I mean, in fact, oh, great Grey's Anatomy, they all go for a drink. This, this is a fallacy of all medical shows. Exactly. I mean, come on. This is like they do 12-hour stints. They haven't been able to go to the toilet. They're holding it in. And now they think that they're going to dress up and go to a bar. Like, I just, like, it's, it's yeah, it's not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love Regan's story because I love the fact that she's gotten into running because of her diagnosis, because of run the, uh, MS Run the U.S., that's the thing that's motivated her. Um, you know, so many of the people that we've had on this show um, have have been athletes. I mean, even, you know, Alex Flynn had done a huge amount of endurance challenges. He carried it through after his diagnosis with renewed purpose. Um, and and, there, and and Bruce, I suppose, if we look back at episode one of this series, he he was okay. He he had his diagnosis first, but he had his diagnosis and and, and medical issues from from being a small boy. This mm -hmm. is someone who wasn't necessarily an athlete who is becoming an athlete in the the, the not the middle of their life. Um, she's certainly not kind of middle age. She's she's still young, but she's 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 not someone who who was super athletic until this happened to her. It's incredible, isn't it? And then even. I, the way that she describes it as well, right, that, like, it, it's got so many elements of, of pacing and of, like, of taking it step by step with her movement that she's really built herself up to this. It wasn't mm. that, you know, sometimes we jump into the story on these episodes where they've kind of, they've already become the athlete, they've already become the Paralympic champion. And actually to wind this back and kind of hear that it takes time, and going from where you go to, to where you want to be really takes time. It's actually, it's quite a humbling thing to hear, right? Yeah, I mean, it, re it reminds me really of Lavisa as well in the, the very first episode that we did um, of season one. You mm -hmm. know, someone who, who who got autoimmune hepatitis in her, in, you know, in her case in her late teens, but discovered running many years after it. Mm -hmm. Um and yeah, it's it's got a similar kind of quality and feel to it, which is really lovely because um, I, I guess that, you know, whereas we might have someone like Devon who's always been athletic, um, if, you, if you haven't been athletic and then you get a chronic illness, you might think that's it. But it's like, no, you, you can be unathletic, 
or at least not not have been that way inclined, get a chronic illness and still develop and discover a joy of of physical activity. Um, And that might be running 5K or running marathon after marathon after marathon, but it doesn't matter. But you can still discover that joy and get something from it. And as she says, right, that word launch pad, launch pad, I loved it, absolutely loved it. Because to say that day one of diagnosis, now that is your launch day. I mean, what a powerful way to flip the narrative. You control it. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I mean, (laughs) the, the challenge that she's got is nuts. Mm-hmm. To go from, you know, she's not ran marathon distance at the time of recording, which is only a couple of weeks ago, to in June having to to un- undertake the feat that she's <laughs> she mm-hmm. signed up to is just, I mean, it's nuts. It's brilliant, but it's nuts. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I mean, like everything she was saying about, you know, you've got to relish the experience of it as well, right? It's not just that goal at the other end, that marathon, but it's the pushing the limits every day, that working your way up and your journey to get there. That's what that's what her that's what my impression of it was anyway, was that she was really trying to get us to to be involved in the journey, not just that end point. Yeah. And look, the other thing that I'd love to say is 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 how wonderful is it to hear that her her medical professionals, you know, the people that she's speaking to, have been wholly supportive. It's it's tough that that is like one of the things we have to pull out, right? That it's not <laughs> just a given. Sorry, Marla. <laughs> it's right. It, it shines through, doesn't it? Like she really feels confident and in control. And sometimes when we listen, it. It, it, you don't get that same impression. They don't feel in control of their body. But she feels in control of it and she feels like she's listening to it. Hmm. And maybe that's because she had so much experience previously with MS, you know, with her grandma, with working in the MS society stuff. Like, And seeing all these other volunteers that inspired her, like I suspect that she saw, well, she said it anyway, but you know, like I suspect that she saw what she could be. Yeah, I, I think it's, I mean, it just blows your mind that she worked at the MS Society. That's crazy. Like, I had to re-listen to that bit because I actually wasn't fully convinced on what I'd heard. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'd, and, and I, we were talking earlier offline, right, about how useful it is when there's someone that is in the shoes you want to be, right? Mm-hmm. When you can see where you want to go to and you can hear the story and it's achievable. And I think that her having seen... How the, all these volunteers, even hearing people who've climbed Everest and done amazing things, it it gives you almost the freedom to to just do it anyway. But I think that it really takes it really takes having that community and a, and a good, not toxic community, a very good community around you that inspires you and doesn't pull you down with the with the diagnosis, right? Yeah, yeah. And look, the, the other thing I'd say about this is. Um, I didn't realize how far we'd come in the ability to manage MS, if I'm perfectly honest. MS was still something that I thought if you got a diagnosis of it, it was degenerative and it, it you know, it depended how aggressive it was about how quickly that that happened, but it it, it was the worst case scenario rather than the situation that that Regan is is able to paint, which is actually that this is an illness that if you get a diagnosis of, it doesn't mean that you're going to be on that on that sliding, you know, that that downward slope. 
there may well be treatments and they're getting better all the time, which is a really positive, wonderful thing to hear. Right. It's, it's, it's great, especially especially in this day and age to hear these positive stories. But I, I remember, you know, in my second year of medical school, I wanted to know how people lived with chronic conditions at a young age, you know, and and she reminded me very much of one of the patients that I met. And as part of the program, you follow them, you go to their home, you see how they live and you see how they manage and their daily activities. And I went round to it sounds crazy now, right? But this was part of it. You, you know, the GP gives you a patient and you go to their home, you meet them there and you talk to them about their experience of living with a chronic condition. And I met a patient who was living with MS and she had young kids and she was, you know, had a great support system around her, but she was just really just trying to carry on. Mm-hmm. And and I think that it it's not, it's not often actually, you hear a lot of the time about like, the out years, but to hear like a, a normal person, you know, who is living a normal life and then they're not a celebrity, but I consider her a celebrity anyway now, but like, you know, and then they manage to go on and achieve so much despite adversity. I mean, it's just, it's just a wonderful, uplifting message. And I, I think we need to hear it more and more in society and, and professionals need to, we don't get to see it, right? We see it at the, at the extremes when they're, when they're not really coping. That's why they come to hospital. So I think it's always uplifting to hear this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And look, it, it's wonderful as well that, of course, um, Regan is is not just on her own in MS Run the US. There is a whole team of people undertaking this nuts crazy challenge of, of <laughs> running st- across the states um which just proves that you know whilst whilst she is exceptional she is not alone in that and that this is something that is achievable you might have you might have that diagnosis you might be living with a chronic illness but there's a whole bunch of people out there who are pushing themselves and doing amazing things nonetheless yeah and you're right they're not they're not necessarily olympic champions mm-hmm, mm-hmm. everyday people and and that's and, and equally some of those people might not actually be able to when june comes around do it and that's also fine but as she's saying it's that journey that journey yeah. to try and to try and push yourself out your comfort zone and, and realize that you know m- movement is is powerful it's mm-hmm. really 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 powerful when you're when you're living with a chronic condition, just the simple, simple movement you can even do at your desk when you're just moving your neck or, you know, just lifting a leg, like even simple things like that. It just like starting from somewhere is just the most important thing. It's just starting. I sound a bit like, I think it's just because I'm really motivated by this, uh, by this episode, but like, I really feel like she speaks to the everyday person here. And I just love it. This is good. This is practical advice from our in-house medical resident. Um, <laughs> I mean, don't listen to her too carefully. She hasn't watched ER, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm based my career decision off thinking I'd be going to the pub in the evenings. So. <laughs> <laughs> Marla, thank you very much for your time. Next week, we've got Haley on the show. She uh, suffers from CHD, has done from birth. Um, but is now a personal trainer, uh, amongst other things, and also has a podcast for the CHD community. So that should be interesting, one podcaster to another. Um, but that's next week. Um, until then, goodbye. And if all the nights close in, there's one 
and hope within If all the nights close in 